Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to France Elects, a special world review podcast series on the French election from the New Statesman. I'm Ido Volk, Europe correspondent at the New Statesman. This week, we're discussing the seismic second round of the parliamentary elections, which took place on the 19th of June, and saw President Emmanuel Macron lose his majority, the United Left surge, and the far right returned with its largest parliamentary delegation since World War II. Le peuple s'est exprimé. The people have spoken. Surmounting the obstacle of an unfair and unsuited electoral system, it decided to send a very powerful parliamentary group of national rally MPs to the National Assembly. Which thus becomes a little more national. This group will be by far the largest in the history of our political family. With me to discuss is Jeremy Cliff, writer-at-large. Thanks for coming on. I know you're a favourite of many Worldview podcast listeners, so it's good to have you back. So these election results are really quite unprecedented, at least in the recent history of, of the French Republic and of French democracy. What we've seen is a president who's recently elected, who won election just a few months ago, lose his parliamentary majority, which hasn't happened since 2002, since the parliamentary elections were moved to the same calendar as the presidential elections. So Macron's Ensemble Alliance won 246 seats in Parliament, which is about 33 seats off a majority. And the United Left, which we've spoken quite a lot about, the New Popular Ecological and Social Union won 142 seats, which more than doubles constituent parties' representation in Parliament. And there was a big surprise, which was the National Rally Marine Le Pen's far-right party, which won 89 seats which is by far its best representation in Parliament in its history. It triples its previous best best contingent, which had happened in the 1980s when the electoral system was briefly made proportional and that, that caused a kind of mini political earthquake. But this is probably more significant. So what do you make of these results? What's your kind of takeaway from this? I know you're writing your column on the French elections this week. What do you make of what just happened? I mean, a lot of elections are called historic or historic turning points, but I think this one really does qualify for the 
term. So many of the old assumptions about the French Fifth Republic have been pushed aside by this result. The centrality of and the dominant power of the executive, that is to say the president, relative marginalization of the legislature seems now to be a thing of the past. The Republican front, whereby parties of the left and center rally together to keep the far right out. As you say, this is at least the, the best the far right has done since the Second World War. I was discussing this with our colleague Gavin Jacobson yesterday. He reckons that you have to go back as far as the 1880s to find the sort of extreme nationalism in France as, as strong in, the, in, in a democratic legislature. Obviously, you can debate what democratic means in that term, but as it is now. And a lot of the old assumptions of the Republic have been pushed aside. We're clearly entering a period of enormous turbulence in French politics. It's not clear how Macron's going to manufacture his, uh, the majorities he needs in the legislature. Obviously, the Assemblée becomes, with this result, a lot more central in the French political life. And we have this sort of new party system where the two dominant forces of, of post-war French politics, the Gaullists and the Parti Socialiste, are to some degree or another marginalised or subsumed into other blocs. So you now have this new three-block system of the noop on the, on, on the left, spanning the broad left, I suppose you'd say, Macron on the centre to the centre-right, and then obviously Marine Le Pen on the far right. So it's a total realignment of French politics. And I think, you know, there's, there's no roadmap really for where things go from here. Yeah. And one of the things about these results is Macron doesn't have a majority, but there's no clear majority in any direction. The left doesn't have a majority. The far right doesn't have a majority. The only kind of conceivable coalition that you could, that could emerge is Macron, Macron's ensemble plus the Republicans, the kind of by now fairly small centre-right party. It seems like it isn't going in that direction. There are many senior figures in the Republicans who've said they don't support a coalition with Macron propping up Macron. Before the election, you had many allies of Macron, the Prime Minister, Macron himself, many of his ministers and so on, saying the president needed to be given a convincing majority to avoid political blockages and to keep the country moving and so on. But of course, having an election means that it can go different ways and it's not a, it doesn't have to be a given that the president always wins the legislative election after their presidential election if you have an election it means that the president or any party can lose it and indeed macron has won in a fashion but the fact that there is no kind of convincing majority in any, any direction means that he is going to have to negotiate with different parties. At this point, it looks most likely on a kind of ad hoc basis without a kind of formal coalition with the Republicans. And what that means is we're going to get a sort of an extent, as you say, Parliament is going to become much more central in political decision making. It's historically been marginalised by presidents because they just get an automatic majority and the Parliament is kind of there as a not a rubber stamp, it does have significance, but they haven't had to negotiate with it in the way that Macron is going to have to negotiate with Parliament now. And we're going to get a sort of an extent of parliamentarianism injected into the institutions of the Fifth Republic, which in general, at least for the past 20 years, have not been too accommodating to yeah. it and have been that aspect of French, the French institutions have been marginalised. And in fact, for all of the I think largely understandable hand-wringing and concerns about stability of French politics in the coming years. To reintroduce some parliamentarianism into the French system is perhaps not such a terrible thing in a system that, as I and others have argued on the pages of the New Statesman, has become too centralised, has become too monarchical. I, I, we might want to come on to that in, in a bit, but I just wanted to add one other point, just w on your point, Ido, about the difficulty for Macron of winning over even the sort of quote-unquote centre-right 
Republicain. There too, he's going to have a challenge because that party spans the centre-right to actually quite hard right elements. And I think that points to this kind of broader picture, which is I talked about these three blocks of the broad left, Macron plus the centre-right, then Marine Le Pen. They all are, of course, very broad churches with a huge potential for internal fractiousness as well. NUP is this broad coalition ranging from Jean-Luc Mélenchon's La France Insoumise all the way through to the centre-left, remnants of the old Parti Socialiste and the Greens. Um, Macron, as we've said, will have to forge some sort of ad hoc or formal coalition uh, between his centrists and the, and the and and sort of conventional conservatives, and then even on the far right, despite the fact that Le Pen did far better than many expected, this historic result, there are of course still big question marks about the identity of her party's politics. There are divisions within the French hard right. We saw that with the brief-lived sort of emergence of Eric Zemmour at the election, even if he didn't end up doing very well. And so all three of these camps are very broad, big, baggy coalitions, dominated or united actually to the extent that they are by the personalities of their leading figures, so Mélenchon, Macron, and Le Pen herself. And I think that will, that dynamic will play an important part in the turbulence of the coming years. And I think just a final point on that is that there are certain question marks about the long, political longevity of all three of those. Mélenchon is relatively old. Macron can't run again in 2027. And some have questioned what, kind of how long Le Pen's dominance of the far right continues. And this is a story about three very broad and uncertain coalitions united primarily by figures who may not be, well, who certainly won't be there forever. I actually don't know if I agree. I I definitely think that's true of of Macron's party. It's pretty clear that Macron's party has a lot of difficulty implanting itself on a local level or even a regional level. It's a party which exists at a national level, but at the kind of sub-national level, whether regional, departmental, municipal and so on, it really doesn't exist in the same way that you would expect a party of power to exist. But I think precisely the reason, for example, that the new the left-wing union was so successful is because the four constituent parties were allowed to maintain their identities. And I don't think they would have consented and agreed to this uh, union if they had to merge into one party behind Mélenchon. And indeed, we've seen that Mélenchon has proposed to create a single parliamentary group in parliament, which would be the largest, the single largest opposition faction in parliament and the three other parties. So there's Mélenchon's uh, and the three other parties, the Socialists, the Greens and the Communists have refused. And they've said this was an electoral pact. We we got into it on the basis of, of being able to maintain our individual identities and to be able to sit as separate groups in Parliament. And we are not going to meld into a kind of wider Mélenchonist Milosevist party. And precisely, I think it is that kind of acceptance of pluralism which allowed the new to do so well. And if it hadn't, if Mélenchon just demanded every party just get behind him, I'm not sure it would have had the same success. And on the far right, we should get into this, but these results are extraordinarily good for the far right. The Rassemblement National has increased its parliamentary representation 11-fold on the last parliament, despite, as Marine Le Pen correctly said in the intro, an electoral system which historically massively disadvantages the, the far right. It's three times, its parliamentary delegation will be three times bigger than its previous best score in the 1980s, which is a really very long time ago. This is an extraordinarily good result for the far right. It's something that almost nobody expected. Marine Le Pen herself clearly didn't expect it. And if there were doubts about the direction she was taking the she was taking the party in or the, her leadership, for the moment, those have very much been extinguished. If only for a relatively pedestrian reason, which is that parties in France get public subsidies based on the number of votes they get. And Marine Le Pen's party has had 
chronic financial difficulties and these really good electoral results will mean that she will be she will get millions millions of euros in public subsidies which will put her party on a much better much sounder financial footing and allow her for example to repay that famous russian loan which which so much was made of so it, it just for that reason that these are really good results for, for Lubin. Yeah, or the figure of 10 million euros over the course of the legislative period for the... I, I think it's even more. I think it's 15. Yeah. But yeah. So let's get into the far right. I think that the United Left kind of doubling its representation is one part of the story. But to me, the biggest story is really this far right surge. If the NUP doesn't create a single parliamentary group, then the Rassemblement National will be the single largest opposition faction in parliament, which is, as I've said, a huge uh, success for Lupin. What do you make of this kind of far-right surge? You and I were discussing this yesterday, but I think the first big question is the this kind of political Cluedo, who done it? Who from the other parts of politics can be blamed for the fact that the RN had this unexpected surge in results on the weekend? And I guess my sort of starting point was that I think it's inexcusable that Macron's Ensemble party was so reluctant to endorse Nup candidates when they were in runoffs against Le Pen's candidates, most notably in Le Pen's own seat in the Pas de Calais, where a, a new candidate running against her who should have been totally acceptable to the centrist Macronists, a, a kind of a, a green uh, who'd campaigned against the far right and had really put up a strong opposition to Le Pen in her sort of home region, Marine Tondelier, and yet the local ensemble candidate didn't decline to support her and said that she would do a blank vote. And I suppose my starting point was that was bad, but it was also bad that Mélenchon and others in Nuke weren't more energetic in or weren't more explicit in asking their supporters in runoffs between the Macronists and Le Pen to pick the quote-unquote lesser evil. So my kind of starting point was that there was rough a rough sort of equidistance of blame between the centre and the left on this. But you took a different view. So do you want to set up why you disagreed with that? Yeah, I'm not sure about the equidistance. So the first thing to, to note is that, look, I mean, there was a more important election. We're talking about this election. These elections matter. They ma they're actually mattering a lot more than they have for a long time. But the presidential election is more important than this election. It just is. There was a more important election a few months ago. And in that more important election, Mélenchon's voters Mélenchon lost and was beaten in the first round and if Marine Le Pen was going to win it bluntly as I said several times on this podcast and wrote and so on her path to victory depended on Mélenchon's voters staying home if not actively voting for her if enough Mélenchon voters had stayed home rather than voting for Macron or even not necessarily voting for her for Marine Le Pen Marine Le Pen would have won her path to victory depended on enough Mélenchon voters staying home and they didn't and so I think they've already done it they've already to a large extent done their bit not And indeed, not only this year, but also in 2017, when the same thing happened at the Republican Front, the anti-Rassemblement National electoral strategy, when they upheld that in 2017. So that that's the first thing to say. The second is in the run-up to the legislative, legislative elections, when the NUP looked like Macron's biggest threat, and it probably wasn't going to win enough to enough seats to, to have a majority on its own, but it might, and indeed it did, win enough seats to deny Macron his majority. When that looked like the kind of preeminent threat facing Macron, Macron's allies and his political camp started equating both the NUP and the Rassemblement National and saying both extremes are as bad as each other, we should reject both extremes, and they put both on, a, on an equal footing. And I think this was frankly wrong for several reasons. So first of all, the NUP is not just Mélenchon, it's also green socialists and communists. And 
all three of those parties are established parts of the political mainstream in France. Yes, even the communists who were for a very long time a major political force in, in French politics and are now a much more minor force in political in French politics. But they are they are responsible parts of the political mainstream. They're a minor party now, but they, they run cities, they run municipalities, and they have a generally quite good reputation. So it wasn't just Mélenchon. And if indeed by some miracle there had been a majority of, of new MPs in Parliament, a very big chunk of those would have been Greens, Communists and Socialists. And in the same way as Macron's feet are now going to be held to the fire by every little faction within Ensemble, you've got Philippe's uh, party, Horizon, the Republicans, the Modem, and so on, all these different kind of factions. All those fa those other factions within the NUP would have demanded moderation and kind of created a certain element of moderation from, from, from the NUP and from Mélenchon's um, kind of leadership. Of course, that isn't really comparable with the RN, isn't, is it? I think listening to this, I do find it pretty persuasive. I might be wrong, but I'm not sure that Mélenchon's allies and kind of his political camp ever said that Macron and Le Pen were equally bad. What they said was they resented having to choose between both for the second time and having a political system which denies them any representation if they don't. It's a kind of winner-takes-all system and they have to choose in the second round and they are bluntly blackmailed by saying you have to pick Macron or you get the far right. I'm not sure that they ever said both are equally bad. We, we, put, we equate both. And what Macron's allies, by contrast, did was equating both the NUP and the RN, which Again, the NUP might have been, it might have been some kind of indigenist consensus candidate in your constituency, but it might also be some sort of socialist municipal councillor who, who five or 10 years ago would have been part of the majority in parliament of a governing party or a green or even a communist. And that's, I think, the kind of critical mistake. And indeed, what happened was that there are disagreements among different polling institutes, but it seems like in the around 60 second rounds where NUP were where NUP candidates were facing the RN, either 48 or 70 percent of of ensemble voters abstained and they refused to pick the NUP over over the RN. And when the RN was winning by 51, 52, 53 percent, that clearly made enough difference to to mean that they got through. And I really think it bears saying the largest RN delegation in parliamentary history is. It's on Macron. It's Macron's fault. Yeah. I mean, another another aspect in which this is on Macron, I suppose, is precisely what the point you make about many of these new candidates coming from the socialists or the Greens. And certainly my view on Macron is that well, on the Macron project is that one of its biggest failures has been to bind in the centre-left, which I think was within his reach when he set out in 2016, 2017. Yet as president, he has conspicuously governed more to the centre-right than to the centre-left. And I think he has neglected those voters in those in that part of the electorate who might have been willing converts to to Ormarche and now Ensemble. So there too, I suppose you can say that this 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 broad tent that they wrongly described as being equivalent to the RN is also a product of his own failings as president. But I mean that that kind of brings us to the sort of where we are now. And I'm just listening to this, listening to your points here. It's it, it feels like French politics is in for a very rocky ride. That's a fair assessment. If you're enjoying France Elects, you might want to consider subscribing. We have a special offer for podcast listeners, 12 weeks for £12 or €12 Euros in Europe. Just go to newstatesman.com slash podcast offer and you can read all our international coverage at newstatesman.com slash international. 
From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads, the best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Songs are like tattoos, Mitchell said on Blue. Having one written about you is immortality and fiction rolled into one. Featuring writing from our authors, including Kate Mossman on Joni Mitchell's former muse and lover, Jeremy Cliff on his journey through France before this year's presidential election, and Sophie McBain on the refugee crisis. Don't die, he kept shouting. He didn't answer when Mardwe screamed back, Who is dying? Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads wherever you get your podcasts. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So all the talk in France at the moment is about is about this gridlock and what do you do when you have a national assembly without any clear majority. This is a very novel occurrence in France. Obviously, we're sat here in Germany. It's much less of a novel idea in countries with more of a culture of political consensus and less of a kind of winner-takes-all culture, which is indeed what many advocates of hung parliament or denying Macron's majority say. It's a good thing. But so what happens now is... There are a few options. So the first is that Macron agrees a kind of coalition, most likely with the Republicans, and it's a kind of governing agreement, and that allows him to have a government which controls the confidence of parliament. Another option is a kind of ad hoc, forming ad hoc majorities on different texts. That probably at this point seems the most likely, and you'd probably get many Republicans. As you say, there's a split between the nationalist wing of the Republicans and the more kind of liberal Macron compatible wing of the Republicans. But it, that that is also an option. And if that were to happen, there's a very powerful tool available to minority French governments, which is Article 49.3 of the Constitution, which is a very controversial article allowing the government to pass laws without a vote in exchange for, for a confidence motion that it has to 
that it has to survive. Since reform in 2008, that can only be used once a parliamentary session. But uh, for example, we're under François Hollande, who similarly had some difficulties with parliament and because of a recalcitrant faction of left-wingers, um, that that measure was used repeatedly. And so it is possible that we might see a lot more of, of the 49.3 that we've seen than we've seen in previous legislature when it was used, I think, only once. And then the final option is Parliament simply being dissolved after maybe a year, which is already an option that the that Macron's allies are floating because they say that, that it's simply it's ungovernable. The question really is how far can the institutions of the Fifth Republic cope with this kind of fairly novel situation? And the institutions and also the political culture. No party in France is used to sharing power. Coalitions don't exist in France. And that's the real kind of question. Can the political culture and the institutions of the Fifth Republic, which, I mean, are basically orientated towards a strong executive and a fairly marginalised parliament, to what extent can they adapt to this quite novel political situation? Yeah, and I refuse to see this in a purely negative light. I do think that part of the, not all of it, but part of the disillusionment felt by some French people, part of the reasons for the current political divides is the fact that Macron has, particularly Macron, but also previous presidents, has been able to ram through his agenda without having to take into account squaring off differences, reconciling trade-offs, binding people in to, to, to what he was trying to do. And it might be a disaster. It might mean deadlock, maybe new elections, maybe even a new series of France elects. Definitely not a bad thing. But I mean, on the positive, I, I do wonder, I think this sort of reckoning was probably going to happen sooner or later. And if it does start to change the political culture and maybe even begin a debate about constitutional change, the kind of the long-mooted Sixth Republic, which as I've, I've written before, I think is a debate that France probably needs to have, then that, that could actually be a good thing. So I'm, I will allow myself a little hint of optimism as we wrap up here. No, absolutely. And you have a lot of people saying it's a, it's a good thing. Look, the reality of the institutions of the Fifth Republic has been the first choice of between a quarter and a third of voters gets all the political power. That's how it works, because they win in the first round and then they win in the second round and then they get a majority in parliament a couple of months later. And that means that you end up with two thirds to three quarters of voters who are essentially completely marginalised and who have no political power whatsoever in any given electoral cycle. And maybe if it forces a, a more of a culture of compromise, more of a culture of negotiations and allows different in interests to be represented in the political system, that's not, such, that's not such a bad thing. It's the norm in many European countries. We're sat here in Germany. It's clearly the norm here. Even the UK has had coalitions. Any number of European countries have this culture of compromise and coalition and negotiation. And maybe it's time for France to also learn a bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we go, we've got some news. We're thrilled to announce the launch of the New Statesman's new app this week, which is available now in the Apple app and Google Play stores. We would say this, but it really is a thing of beauty. You can now enjoy our award-winning journalism from both print and online within the app. But you can also listen to all of our New Statesman, World Review and Long Reads podcasts within it. Toggle between the international and UK editions and check out our striking photography and illustrations. Indeed, why not take the opportunity to go into the Long Reads section and listen to my recent travelogue on Macron's France, which touches on some of these subjects, read in the dulcet tones of producer Adrian. So if for no other reason, then that's, a good, that's, that's one to download the new app immediately and enjoy it on your mobile or tablet in the way that suits you. Very smooth, Jeremy. That's it for this final episode of France Selects. We hope you've enjoyed this series examining French politics in depth, from foreign policy to the rise of the far right. If you've enjoyed it, please do leave us a review. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. Thanks for listening.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, Freddie here. I want to tell you about a new way you can support the New Statesman's independent journalism. Every morning I send out Morning Call, our daily newsletter covering everything you need to know about British politics. It's free to sign up, plus for just £3 a month, you'll get a recommended daily piece of ours sent to you in full, plus exclusive polling analysis from Ben Walker, a weekly update from Will Dunn, and our featured piece on Sundays. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love Morning Call. Head to morningcall.substack.com and subscribe now.